Hi guys, it's Laura with the trigger warnings for this episode. We have quite a few. Um, so first is rape, depression, mental health trauma, and suicide. And we do discuss suicide um, at length. So please take care of yourselves and enjoy the episode. I've got a date coming any minute now, and he won't like me seeing me sit around with you. A date? Buddy looked surprised. Who is it? It's two, I said. Peter the Hermit and Walter the Penniless. Hey, look, it's, hey, a, look, butterfly. it's a butterfly. It's a butterfly. All right, listeners, this is going to be a chaotic one, like even yeah. more so than last time. <laughs> and you know why? I'll tell you why. It's because Mercury's in retrograde, and I'm pretty sure I've said that more and more, and it like started out as like a, what's it called? Ironic, and now yeah. it's just my personality, and I do kind of think it's true. Like, Mercury went into retrograde, I think like October 10th or something, and yeah. I have not been the same since. When does it get out of retrograde? Because I need it to quit. <laughs> um, I want to say the end of April. And the opposite of retrograde no! <laughs> is prograde. No, April. I meant October. Oh my, oh my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> You'd be like, oh, so chaos forever. Oh, so this is just how it is. Okay. <laughs> oh, so this is just what it's like. Okay. Oh, I freaking lied. Okay, so it's actually, it went into retrograde <laughs> on September 27th. Yeah. Which is a very special day because it's the day I got robbed in Thailand three years ago. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. will end... Oh, it ends tomorrow. Oh, oh thank God. Yes, it be. Oh, I thought you were going to say, oh, and it ended two weeks ago. And I'd be like, well, shit. So everything's just Oh, so this is chaotic because of life. Oh, my God. Okay. That was a lot of twists and turns. Like, listen, we delivered. I said I was going to But this is why this episode is, is going to be as chaotic as it is. Because yeah. we are recording this earlier because we are professionals. Yeah, because we're fucking pro. We're pros. So at the time, right now, Mercury's still in retrograde. By the time this is released, we will be out. We'll see what happens after that. If this just set the new norm or if it's just momentary. I hope it's just momentary. Oh, my God. This was also a very chaotic reading because I've gotten a Kindle. I don't think that's new since the last episode, but it is, like, recent. I read this partially on Kindle and partially on my phone on Libby. So my notes are split between two devices. Oh, good. Also, I'm going to be eating because I have to go to work after this. So Great. Enjoy these crunchy mouth sounds. Welcome to Everything Settled. Um, welcome to Reading Rainbow, the podcast where we read books and then discuss why we had to read them in settings such as schools or I don't know what else. I don't know why else. Yeah, where else to be a band-aided reading? Yeah. So, Laura, tell us about this uh, month. What did we read? Well, it's Sober October and we've both <laughs> lost that so many times. Yeah, I think I, I think I made the mistake of Bringing in the new month with a shot of tequila. So I think I lost that. Yeah, classic mistake for Sober October. We read The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath this month for this spooky month, this spooky season. As I speak, it is very crispy outside. It was pretty warm for a while because of, you know, global warming. Mm. But finally, we can go back into global warming denial and uh, (laughs) embrace the cold weather. Just mm-hmm. before this podcast, actually. So I, listeners, am embarking on a solo camping trip for the first time this coming weekend. I'm st- am starting to panic a bit because I am starting to realize, oh, I'll be outside the whole time with no electricity. Um, but I'm it doing be it cold. because I want to prove that I 
can and that I can be self-reliant and because I've always wanted to. So right before this, I had tested my new camp, my new used camp stove I got for $30 off of Facebook Marketplace. And uh, I was yes. about to cry because it wasn't working, but then it caught on fire. And praise be, I'm a Prometheus. I'm a genius. I've got it no, all No, it didn't out. catch on fire in the bad way like it exploded. It no, caught it did on fire not. in the way that it's supposed to. Exactly, yes. And I basically am a genius and everything's going to be fine. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that for you. Can you relate your camping experience, Facebook Marketplace, whatnots, into maybe your book fact about the bell jar? Let me think about that real quick. Nope. Um, so this bell jar is semi-autobiographical. Um, so it is. it does depict events and experiences that Sylvia Plath had. Um, but it's a robotic clef, which means it's a real life... It's real life events told through a facade of fiction. All of that is wrong for the French speakers. I'm sorry. <laughs> so it is based on her life. So due to this fact and due to the fact that a month after the publication, um, she actually committed suicide. The book was only published mm. in the UK for the first four years due to the wishes of her um, surviving family members like her um, husband and I think mother-in-law. So they didn't release it in the US for the first four years. Although to be honest, four years, do you think that is like enough time? I don't really know. Okay, well, here's what I have to say, because this relates to my author fact, coincidentally. So, Plath, you know, committed suicide. Yes. Very unfortunate. She, mm -hmm. as it's kind of like one of the well-known things, she stuck her head in the oven, uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. Mm -hmm. Her children, her two kids were in the apartment with her, but she had sealed them into a room and covered the door frame with, like, towels and stuff so mm -hmm. they wouldn't, whatever. So she's dead. Very sad. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of... I don't know if this is just like, you know, the quote unquote feminazis getting involved or whatever, you know, like society is hating women or something. But a lot of people theorized that Hughes, Ted Hughes, Plath's husband, had some shadiness to do with her death and or mm. some like was not your picture perfect supportive husband. After she died, he got a lot of, like, her estate and a lot of her yeah. possessions and legals and all that stuff. And so, the fact is, Plath's gravestone has been repeatedly vandalized by, like, chiseling off the name Hughes and Sylvia Plath Hughes' name. So it just says Sylvia Plath because yeah. they're like, we need recompense or something like that. Sure. So, And if I'm not mistaken, I think they had separated at that point, too, like, before her mm -hmm. death. They yeah, had, they, they were, were definitely, together. like, not, it was, like, known that they were not their relationship was on the rocks. Yeah. But also, I do think it's interesting because just going, jumping into like, did we read this in school? Right. I never did. Um, I'm not super familiar with Sylvia Plath. And the only reason I really know her name is because I feel like it's a feminist household name because mm -hmm. she's just seen as like a very, like next to Frida Kahlo, she's like, oh yes, feminist people, Sylvia Plath. And then of course the talk about like mental health mm -hmm. and like, suicide and sticking your head in the oven i think not only is it like feminist but it's also used as a trope in like a lot of characters mm -hmm. who are feminist but also kind of like dissatisfied with their life or something like these female characters then they'll compare their plights to like sylvia plath or something like that mm -hmm. which and specifically the bell jar yeah but did did you have to read this i never did um i don't even i don't remember if it was ever presented as a choice i never sought it out 
Um, yeah, but same. yeah, like you, I was always kind of, sort of, a, kind of, sort of aware of her and the book, but I never ever, I never knew what it was about. I never knew anything about her life, so um, this was definitely like my first delve into anything about her work. Mm-hmm. Um, she was also she was a poet too, and she had had some mm-hmm. things published beforehand, but this was her only novel. But let's just jump in, and I will read you the Goodreads blurb about what the Bell Jar is about. Okay. <clears throat> Let me take a sip of the coffee to wash down my chow mein because that's because <laughs> that's what I'm working with here for breakfast slash nice. lunch. <sighs> okay, the Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. The Bell Jar chronicles the crack up of Esther Greenwood, brilliant, beautiful, enormously talented, and successful, but slowly going under, maybe for the last time. Sylvia Plath masterfully draws the reader into Esther's breakdown with such intensity that Esther's insanity becomes completely real and even rational, as probable and accessible an experience as going to the movies. Such deep penetration into the dark and harrowing corners of the psyche is an extraordinary accomplishment that has made the bell jar a haunting American classic. The end. Wow, that was pretty short for a good reason. Yeah, they keep it sweet and they... I mean, they definitely did, I think they did a good job in embodying the vibe, but they don't really go over what happens, which is why we turn to you, Laura. Give oh. us the summary. Yes. This is yet another long summary because it's a very short book, but quite a few things happen. Yeah, I, I forget what the, like, structure is called, but it's one of those books where there's not really, like, a rising action, Mm-mm. like, exposition, rising action, climax, falling action. It's right. kind of just, like, you wander through this... This period of someone's life. Yeah, it's hard to really orient yourself in terms of the plot and stuff. Um, I, with my, I don't know, what do you, type one mind, we'll call it. Mm -hmm. I separate it into three parts, uh, which does not exist in the book. But um, So in part one, Esther, she's 19. She's an English major. She's got an internship in New York where she and several other um, college-age women are, they're signed editors, they get to go to free luncheons, they get free stuff all the time, they get their photos taken, um, which is very glamorous. But she acknowledges that she just really feels kind of meh about this. And she honestly feels a lot of pressure because she's always been an overachiever, she's always had success, but she's sort of hitting a wall and has to decide what to do with that. It doesn't feel like she's going to succeed afterwards. Imposter syndrome. Yeah, so she's really hitting, um, starting to hit some struggles right there in this period of time. She also has feelings about the other girls um there's a lot of girls here um just gals being pals um betsy (laughs) she's really straight laced and serious but she does kind of identify with um kind of her principles and her way of like clear way of seeing the world there's also doreen who is very attractive um to men and she's rebellious and she goes on dates and just skips the program all the time she thinks a lot about her boy man friend guy uh buddy but he, she doesn't get too specific quite yet. He's not too high up on her list, but she kind of, he kind of, he proposed to her and she doesn't want to bury him. It's kind of unclear here. And then there are other things like all the girls get food poisoning at once. Um, unfortunately, Esther almost, she almost gets raped at a party. And eventually at the end of the program, she goes home and um, after throwing all of her clothes out the window and onto the streets, you know? 
Um, so that's kind of my end of part one. Part two, she's gone home. She doesn't have any clothes because she threw them all away. She references this multiple times. Um, and she is rather depressed because she did not get into the super prestigious writing program that she planned on doing that summer. Um, and she doesn't really feel any motivation to do anything else. She really... Um, feels embarrassed and wants to hide from her neighbors, especially one who has a bunch of babies. Um, her mom wants her to be, like, learn stenography, but she really isn't feeling too hot about that either. Um, eventually her mom, after Esther has not been sleeping, which her mom knows because they share the room together, mm. they sleep in the same room, her mom sends her to therapy, um, which is good at first, I mean, when you think about it, but not really because Esther really doesn't like her therapist, and he prescribes her electroconvulsive therapy. Uh, and she hates this because it's very awful. Um, and so she really starts to seriously think about suicide. She contemplates it most of the time. Um, she tries to swim out to sea and drown herself. Um, and then ultimately she tries to overdose. So she hides in her basement and tries to overdose. Um, and once they find her, then she is sent to a mental hospital. Um, this is where I would say it's uh, part three territory. So in part three, she is sent to a mental hospital and she actually bounces between a couple of them that are all really awful. Um, before her benefactor, this rich lady who has been sponsoring her scholarship, shows up and takes her to a treatment center, uh, which is a bit more, well, cushy because they get um, free time and everything. But they also um, introduce her to a female doctor and they actually I start to treat her a bit more um, like an equal. And she starts to gain clarity in this treatment center. Um, her old acquaintance, Joan, shows up. And Joan is interesting because she had dated Buddy, that dude band friend, before she had. So she'd already been comparing herself to Joan. But Joan shows up, um, and she really wanted to go to the same mental treatment center because she saw that Esther had gone there in the paper, which I think is pretty bizarre to show up in the papers. But, you know, whatever. Um, but she... Uh, slowly starts to adjust. So she has described depression as, um, or her state of mind, as being under a bell jar with no air. Um, and they eventually start to use the electroconvulsive therapy again, but um, she says that this actually does start to make her feel better. She starts to feel like the jar has lifted for periods of time. She gets the space and the time to discuss her views on sex and pregnancy and motherhood um, with someone like her doctor. Uh, she also discovers that Buddy has been writing to both Joan and Esther at the same time, in the same place, and he's going to try to visit them. I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking. Um, she sleeps with someone for the first time, a math professor, um, which is kind of traumatic because she actually starts to bleed um, and like, can't stop, which I did not know could happen. Um, that's terrifying. And... Then it's afterwards, hemorrhaging? huh? Hemorrhaging. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that could happen. Um, and then her friend Joan does commit suicide. Um, she had her own mental health um, problems, obviously. And the novel ends with her entering a like council meeting thing that will determine if she's able to leave and able to go back into the world outside of the mental treatment center. I felt like I don't know. I felt like that was the best organization of events. No, I, I think you did a good job. Such a good job. We're just going to go straight into the unanswered questions because I want to comment on that, but it's going to, I think it'll lead us to more conversation. Great. So Great. away. Away. Okay. So here we are in unanswered questions. Um, I think you did a good job with the summary and we kind of talked about this. Thank also you. talking about the Goodreads I want to say I appreciate all your compliments all the time. Oh my gosh, you're welcome. 
Um, and we had talked about this earlier because guess what? We talk outside of podcast times. <gasps> yeah, all the time. a lot. We're <laughs> we d- okay, a lot. All right. If anyone doubted it, we're mm-hmm. true life homies, not just podcast. Not just for the pod. Homies. This is not an act. <laughs> this is yeah. This is not a facade. But we talked about how this book to me and i think to you is very reminiscent of catcher in the rye (laughs) for many reasons but one of them is the structure of like it's just kind of a winding time in a person's life i will say the catcher in the rye i think it takes place over like a night right yeah like two nights (laughs) two nights and then this is the period of like what like five billion years or something yeah i I think like a year and a half at least Yeah, something like that. She turns 20. But it's a winding thing where it's like, we're just following a life. We're not following a specific incident. It's more like a a period of time. And then also, both take place, at least some parts of Beldra does, in New York. Mm -hmm. Both are talking about like mental health struggles and also kind of give a snapshot into what it was like at the time, how it was talked about, how it was, you know, treated or, you know, untreated. And then I will say these two people are, for the most part, you know, white, middle to upper class people who are kind of just like me. Mm-hmm. This is hard. I don't know. Like, it is it is difficult. I'm not saying these struggles aren't real and, like, don't, aren't valid. But uh, there are points, just like in Catcher in the Rye, where I was just like, all right, Esther, it'll, it'll be okay. Yeah. Just... Maybe don't make this decision. But, of course, you know, like, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. And then I think, kind of, we talked about in the beginning of Catcher in the Rye, where you just meet a bunch of his, like, friends from Pensy State or whatever the fricky frack. Yeah. But, like, just a bunch of people. And it was kind of similar to this, where you're like, here's Betsy and Doreen mm-hmm. and blah, 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 yeah. blah. And, like, they are definitely weaved in more throughout the story. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you're just like, here are your school friends. Okay, cool. Yeah. I think that... In comparing them, um, I do I like the bell jar a lot better. Um, Same. Because I think that Catcher in the Rye doesn't quite hit it all the way home for me. Um, because, you know, he's in this, he is in a mental hospital and he tells you about these um, couple days and then he comes back and he just mentions in the hospital again. But, well, I don't know. They're both first person, but Holden Caulfield doesn't really acknowledge his own mental health. Um, he doesn't really talk about it. He just kind of yeah. describes what's happening and what he does. Like he doesn't really go too far into why or examine that. Um, so it's a little, it's a, a bit more between the lines of what's going on. Um, mm. And and you don't really see the point, the journey of him going to the mental hospital and how that's going to help him get better. Whereas I feel like Esther's journey is a bit more complete in the sense that like you are with her at that time where she is just describing her behavior and isn't really diving into why but then you follow her to the mental hospital and you get to see some of the conversations where she processes what's like happening so i think i like yeah the bell jar as a story like a complete story a bit more than the catcher and the rye and if you will are like talking about depictions of mental health because it's not between the lines um it's not like literary devicey and that you have to like impl- infer what's going on with holden you kind of can witness what's going on with uh almost call her Sylvia, with Esther. I would agree. And I think that's fair. In the Goodreads blurb, they mention mm-hmm. it's kind of like watching a movie. And I think that is true because as for all intents and purposes, maybe that was not his intention of like giving you, letting you into the mind of mm-hmm. Holden Caulfield. But I will say, given the subject matter that both the Beldar and Catcher in the Rye cover, mm-hmm. it helps a lot to have like insight into the character's psyche. Yes. To the certain extent that Sylvia Plath gives you. Mm-hmm. Because as an audience member, you... Like, because of that, and because you get to 
over a period of time get to like get presented with information at the same time as the character mm-hmm. and then also get that um gratification of like self-reflection mm-hmm. as she goes to the hospital and talks about these experiences that we witnessed with her mm-hmm. and you can see the difference of like at the time this is how i felt about it as i was experiencing it now that time has passed mm-hmm. here's what i can infer with the character so yeah. I, I think it's like more gratifying because the holden's journey ends at the end mental hospital it begins yeah. and ends there like he's just there whereas esther like you, you get to see her before and there and then you get to see how that helps her and how like we get to kind of you get to see get at more what's bothering her and everything, um, whereas yeah. Holden it leaves a lot like off the page. Yeah. Um, well, okay, that brings me to one of my unanswered questions. Of... Yeah, that was a t- that was a whole big takeaway. <laughs> no, that wasn't, that wasn't a takeaway. <laughs> was, I was asking my unanswered question in that it was hidden between the lines, just like uh, Catcher in the Rye. It was um, what are the differences? Or similarities between Catcher in the Rye and the Bell Dry. It oh, was so a hidden one in there. It was unasked and unanswered. Got it. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. Um, but here's my... I will ask you this. Um, right. So both, again, both uh, Catcher in the Rye and the Bell Dry feature a lot of, like, depressive midnight walks in, in the city of New York. Mm-hmm. You know, they're riding the subway and it's dark at nighttime and they go into a club and they go to another club. Sure. Wh- as you are where you are right now, like, where are you going on your midnight walks? On my depression For, walks? On your midnight depression walks. Yeah. I think, I've only done this once, and it was when I lived in Colorado. Oh, okay. And I, w- I walked to, I, okay, it wasn't a depressive walk, it was just a walk in the oh, okay, nighttime. okay, okay, okay. Um, and I live pretty close, or I lived pretty close to, like, downtown proper mm-hmm. of the city, so I just walked with some of my friends, we walked there, and then we, there was, like, a local college campus that we hung out mm-hmm. around. But where are you going? Yeah, I not whether I'm depressed or not. When I go on a walk, I go towards <laughs> the park, and uh, then I go towards this cul-de-sac. Well, it depends. If I want a longer walk, I'll go straight in this big square around the streets. But if I, well, I'm in a bit of a hurry, I'll go. If I need a quick depression walk, <laughs> if I, um, yeah, I'll go to one cul-de-sac and then cross it into the backyard of this other cul-de-sac, and then then I'll complete the square. Um, and I can, I have tried, I can only go clockwise around this route. I cannot go the other way. That's just feels wrong. You're like, listen, I'm depressed. I don't need change right now. Yeah. But listen, listen, as I said, I do this whether I'm depressed or not. So it's not necessarily a depression walk. Sometimes it's, sometimes, actually, the other day I finished Redemptor, um, by Jordan Nefueco and I really had to burn off some energy. So it was a very, um, it was a real, uh, what do you want? What do you call it? Just excitement walk. I was just like, ah, I gotta go like somewhere. Burning off that energy. It was really good. It was a good ending. Anyway. Nice. Um, now that I've moved here, I don't know where I would walk to. I'm also pretty close to downtown now, but I haven't decided. So we'll figure that out later. Okay, do you have an unanswered question? So when has Esther um she OD'd, um and she so she was in her basement and she but she left a note for her mom saying she was gonna go on a walk. So for a few days they didn't find her, but she was still alive, obviously. Um mm-hmm. so the police assumed she was kidnapped um and they published this big news story and so like everybody esther knew like knows knows what happened um i just think isn't that kind of a bold assumption to go from like oh she went on a walk and disappeared to being like kidnapped yeah no i think that's a very specific claim to well because also i feel like 
nowadays in like thriller suspense movies if someone it's always like someone actually is kidnapped and then the father or mm-hmm. the concerned friend or the family member or whatever is always like police she's been kidnapped and they're like we have to wait seven weeks until we can post <laughs> that it's a kidnapping and you're like oh okay well okay it's never seven weeks it's always like 48 hours yeah right right but like this one they're just like she went on a walk yeah, she's, she's probably fucking, kidnapped. She's just got snatched, and it's like... She's been nabbed. We have to... I just, I'm like... Alert the Herald. Because I'm like, we know there's no evidence of that. Like, how did they get to that conclusion? Like, couldn't she have gotten lost, gotten, like, hit, been the alien abducted? I don't know. I think there's a lot yeah, of like, other Shouldn't you do, a, do one of those search parties? I don't know. I just think that they are... There are other ways they could have investigated it. I just think that was pretty weird. <laughs> people... Wow, people... Everybody knows her business right now. Um... Okay, I have... Wait, no, I have what, only one more. Oh, well, so I have... No, I, no, it's my turn. Okay. We, we're going back and forth. Oh, already? I still have more. All right. Okay, <laughs> um, speaking of, of the times, and you touched on this in your summary, but of, like, therapy then versus now and how it was regarded, mm. because we mentioned, positive note, like, on the bright side, um... Esther's mom recognizes that she needs to go to therapy, but negatively, like, probably in those times, it wasn't seen, you know, therapy was not um, as normalized and as demystified. It was still seen as, like, you go to therapy if you are crazy or Mm -hmm. if there's something wrong with you, versus now where we're like, no, therapy is a tool that you can use Mm -hmm. and is available to everyone. So even though her mom was like, here, let's give you therapy, it was probably didn't come from like the idea it was probably a reaction out of fear rather than it was of like holistic healing yeah i guess my question is yeah what are other you know comparing like therapy and mental health treatment and everything then mm-hmm. versus now did it like make you think of anything anything at all um i thought yeah it was notable that um so esther she didn't click with her first therapist the the guy yeah um she didn't um <clears throat> like what he said also their first interaction it seemed like it lasted five minutes and then he was like we'll see you next week like they didn't really get into anything so Mm -hmm. i think that that was pretty striking that like that this guy sucked um (laughs) and also i think that is i think um striking in comparison to her the doctor she gets at the the cushy mental treatment center um Mm -hmm. because that one is a woman and esther does know like oh i didn't realize that i could have had a woman doctor and she i would i would say clicks with this one we see her getting into a lot more of those conversations with that female doctor like about her mom and about sex and all these other things um and this doctor is willing to like um respect her boundaries a bit more like um she tries to well she tries um to follow through on this but she says i will um tell you if we're going to give you electroshock yeah. therapy again and it, it she didn't really do great because she didn't tell esther until like the minute before the night before or something um yeah i, but... I think it was the morning of like she was getting yes. her meal and then they're like oh actually you can't eat because you're gonna be electrocuted in a couple minutes and okay mm-hmm. that also made me think because uh when i was younger i had a fear of not needles but getting shots like vaccines and stuff like yeah. that i mean i guess it was needles because i there was no other time i was around them but yeah i used to like deathly very much afraid and this went on well into mm-hmm. my like preteen and teenage years yeah so when i was in high school i had to get a vaccine and my mom knew that i was like not down with it um mm-hmm. so i think it was like oh uh, oh no <laughs> yeah no she pulled oh, no. uh whatever this doctor did she like i i want to say it was a sunday because like it was like sometime at church but like 
doctor's offices aren't mm-hmm. open Sunday, so it definitely wasn't. But we were driving, and I was like, where are we going? Um, and my mom's like, <laughs> it's a surprise! And, like, I don't know anything, so I'm just, like, making jokes. I'm like, oh, are we going to Build-A-Bear? Because you know that's my favorite place. Yeah. <laughs> At, like, age 14, I'm like, are we going oh my to Build-A-Bear? And then she's like, no, you'll see. And we pull up to this parking lot. I'm like, well, this is definitely not Build-A-Bear. We pull into a parking space, and it says reserved for... Uh, you know, patients at the something something clinic, and I stop, and I'm like, "What are we doing here?" Oh my god! And so then I go in. I'm trying to be a brave little warrior, but then we get into the room. Oh my room, god! And they're like, "All right, we're gonna do it." And they it ah! takes like three or four nurses or and or like assistants or whatever to hold me down, <gasps> and they give me. I'm screaming like a huge big baby man. Oh my god! And like. It's done. And nowadays, I'm not afraid of needles or vaccines. Like, yeah. I just don't want to see it go into my skin. But, like, mm-hmm. honestly, I'll take a shot. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I just yeah. don't have that fear anymore. But I'm just saying, like, I understand why my mom did that. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. I get it. Like, I would just, because of the way that I deal with anxiety, I would just be obsessing over it if she told me, like, a week in advance, a day yeah. in advance. But it was also, like, not the way to go, mom. Very traumatizing for me. Yeah. So that's... That is sucks. Similarly, as a kid, I would just like cry, 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 cry if I thought I had to get a shot after mm-hmm. I cry, cry, cry after I got the shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it didn't hurt but, anymore, but I still had to cry. I don't. I don't remember when it happened, but eventually, I just kind of was like, "Yeah, fine, I can do it. I can do with it as long as I see it go in." <laughs> see, I'm like, do not show me it going in. I will kind of vom a little yeah. bit. No, I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. Maybe it's because like I started donating blood in high school. Oh yeah. Too. Um, so that at that point, yeah, I was like, I need to watch this go in my arm. Yeah. No funny just... business. Don't you dare stick this in my weenus. That might go straight <laughs> exactly. to the pain. Yeah. I don't know. Actually, I don't think I've ever watched it go in, but I am just like, I don't need to, blah, blah, yeah. But it does make sense to me because I know I have other friends who are also just like, I need to watch it enter into the dermis. Yeah. It's like the illusion, it's, you have the illusion of control if you can prepare yourself for the moment it enters. I know why. The reason I can't watch oh, it okay. is because I will tense up. And if, especially if you're getting yeah. a vaccine, you do not want tense bone muscles. Or yeah. not bone muscles. That's not a thing. You don't want tense yeah. muscles. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, but, and that's why I can't watch it going for the sake of myself. Because if I'm, like, sitting there and they're like, okay, I'm... Like, even if they tell me, I can, like, psych myself out and just, like, get my arm to go limp. But if I watch it, I'm like... <laughs> Anyways. Um, I also did want to comment on... Um, Esther's mom's view of therapy because her mom I think took it very personal she saw therapy as a sign of her failing as a mother mm-hmm. um and when Esther like when the first session didn't immediately work and cure Esther she was very disappointed um because when Esther said oh I have to go back next week her mom was just like ah so I think that is also maybe a sign I mean not necessarily a sign of the times but it is still common today that when you um you or your loved one or your child or something has depression mm-hmm. and or needs or any kind of mental illness and needs treatment and stuff like that, then it is easy to feel like you did something wrong. Yeah, like that, it's a uh, failing on the parents' yeah. part or the family's part or like or, it's or your own something fault, went you know? wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, something went wrong. And that is obviously really um it's complicated because you want to make them feel better, but it also is not the depressed per- like person's um responsibility job to make them feel better. Yeah. Um 
Because that is a really, obviously for Esther, it was a tough burden. Like, she didn't like seeing her mom because she was just like, you know, I hate you and like, um, can't mm, really make you feel yeah. better and there's nothing we can do about that. It's it's a very real book because Esther doesn't have a magical, happy ending with her mom, you know. it's, And I think that is a sign that like, um, you know, Celia knew, knew what she was talking about when she wrote this book. You know, it's not like perfect. Yeah. My last thing that I want to bring up is the bell jar itself. What do you think mm -hmm. it means? I looked it up, what a bell jar was. I was like, what the heck? And in some ways, apparently it can be used in like experimentation to keep an experiment contained, you know, like so it doesn't escape yeah. into the air or something. You put a case over it. A mm -hmm. bell jar also kind of looks like a pastry case where you just stick a thingy on top. Yeah. And then also it can extinguish candles by, you know, cutting out the oxygen or something mm -hmm. like that. So, and you mentioned in the summary, um, Esther makes a reference to, she's yeah. like, being in electroshock therapy makes it feel like uh, a bell jar. And I think it was because of like their feeling of like being pressed mm -hmm. in on, but like echoey and cavernous. And <clears throat> mm -hmm. But what do you take it to mean? Yeah, um, I think, well, first of all, I did know, what, not to brag, but I did know what a bell jar was. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Because, well, well, what I, I um, we learned about it and we used them in chemistry in high school um, because it's uh, creates a vacuum. So when you're doing things with air pressure, um, it then create. I mean, go ahead. Science. Give us the chemistry lessons right now. No, listen. Yeah, Do I it. know. I I came I came out. Listen, I know I came in guns blazing, but whatever. <laughs> um, but like, um, you can create a vacuum and then inside with it and. Stuff like that. I don't even know what that means. Create a vacuum? What, like a little black hole in your little jar? No, like you can suck the air out, and then the air pressure is lower. And it's... oh, okay, yeah, Actually, that kind of makes it's, sense. It's heavy, and it was very weird because you have to grease the bottom and twist it on so that it creates a seal. <laughs> It was so weird. Grease that um, bottom. All yeah. Right. But anyway, um, so that was my personal experience with the bell jar. It was a super heavy thing that you did with science with. Um, but now related to this book. Yeah. In this book, I think it is a really, I thought I really liked that metaphor. Um, I didn't quite know that was going to be the metaphor when I picked up the book. I was just like, the bell jar? I don't know what that's about. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I think it's a good metaphor for what depression specifically feels like. You're isolated and you can't get out. Um and you can see the outside world, but it's all like distorted and stuff. I I don't know. I just it's yeah. It's a really good metaphor. That's all. Good. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> good. I'm glad we both know things about bell jars. Yeah. Equally, that I'm a, equal one that I'm a chemistry knowledge. genius. Two. But <laughs> the question is relates to the portrayal of men in this story. I think they all suck in this story. And um, but in particularly. <laughs> I just want to know, like, what do you think Buddy's goals are here? What are his motivations? Like, what's he trying to do? Because he's trying to, like, date Joe and then Esther. And then he wants to kind of sleep with Esther. But then he's kind of weird about it. And then um, when they're both at the mental hospital, at the same mental facility, he's writing them both, saying he wants to bury them both or whatever. What's his angle? What's his goal here? I think Buddy is holding Caulfield. Wow. He probably has his own shit going on. But just like Holden, he's just like, why aren't these women fixing my problems? I know that's yeah. a very close-minded view and very, like, misogynistic. But also, like, yeah, he's probably just, like, worried about himself. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's... I'm not saying it's right or wrong. But I'm mm -hmm. saying, psychologically, if I'm entering Buddy's mind, he's probably worried about himself. And he's, like, worried about his prospects. He's got the pressures of wanting to be a doctor. Or at least wanting to want to be a doctor. You know, like, maybe he's mm -hmm. going through his own mental, you know, health journey of realizing what he really wants but then you know he as a man um he's got his own societal expectations and social pressures to live up to mm -hmm. 
So, you know, he, being a doctor, is very prestigious, having a family. He's got all these things that he has, that society wants him to do, and whether or not he wants them to do them or not, mm-hmm. he's probably still going to go along with it. So he's probably, yeah, like when he's um, writing letters to these, I was about to say messaging these two women. Yeah. Uh, essentially, <laughs> me- doing his version of messaging in the 19-whatevers. Yeah. He's probably thinking, like, here are two women, here are two options for me. I'm going to keep this going uh, until I know what I want. Yeah. Um, I think... Yeah, well, because they talked about, like, he went through his own, he had his own struggles, because didn't he get... Tuberculosis. Yeah, he got TB. He got the consumption. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, like, he comes back, and then Esther makes a comment, she's like, oh, he's kind of fat, and he's kind of moon-faced or whatever. So, you know, he has his own struggles. Mm -hmm. But I imagine just because we live in a patriarchal society and this Mm -hmm. book is set in that patriarchal society like you know yeah i just think that i and again that like i forget how much i know like the story takes place over a year and a half but she's known buddy for like a lot longer than Mm -hmm. that but yeah i just was like what are you trying to do here it's i think he is just trying to get like a wife eventually and he's just like yep these two already kind of like me uh, they'll probably want to marry me. I just think he's a fool. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like f- from Esther's perspective, we get a lot of her saying, like, oh, yeah, he's hitting all the marks in terms of, like, he's somewhat good-looking, he wants to be a doctor, he's got a lot going for him, And then, she, but then she mentioned, she's like, I'm just, like, not interested in him that way. Yeah. I d- like, even though I know I should um, accept this marriage proposal, like, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, like, stays with her throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we can get more into this about takeaways, but I, I thought that her reasons for not liking Buddy were pretty interesting. Well, yeah, let's go straight into the unintended takeaways and judgments then. Take away! <laughs> Laura, what did you think about uh, uh, Esther's reasonings for not yeah. liking Buddy? So this is, I think, a part of a greater takeaway about this book is the discussion of like sex and relationships and communication with relationships and motherhood and everything mm-hmm. um so i th- the way i remember it because i did read this a while ago i think what esther said is that she things are going good with buddy they liked each other um and then this one time he like kind of tried to initiate sex with her um and she thought well this is kind of okay um mm-hmm. but then he brought up that he had been with someone before like a waitress or something yeah um and she thought she's st- i think she called him a hypocrite right um yeah because i think she was just confused why he was acting so like kind of prudish and like so careful around her when he like had this previous experience um and she was upset that she didn't have experience either so she was like i really need to like even the score and everything um so i guess what i wanted to say as i think i think that's uh you know a pretty bold thing to like put in the book is mm-hmm. um obviously the discussion around sex and it was in the 50s so i don't know like how bold it was necessarily at the time but um or she, I, yeah she could takes ownership but she brings this up later over like what she wants with her sexual life and um the way she wants to go about it and she does not have ex- you know unfortunately doesn't have experience but that's more the product of the times like you know woman not having the tools to succeed and be able to take ownership and be able to be educated about what will happen and what could possibly happen if you hemorrhage and stuff when you have sex for the first time yeah i just i liked the sense that she wanted control and she had that control 
Yeah, um, well, and when I think about that, like, even though this was in the 1950s, like, not a lot has changed in mm-hmm. American societies and values. Only now are we entering into a more sex-positive, progressive, and mm-hmm. even then, like, not only, like, a minuscule amount. But I would say it's probably still the same in the 1950s where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't talk about it. And if you do, it's usually, like, a man's thing that they're going to talk about it. Um, and it's going to be a boastful thing, and it's objectifying women. But I mm-hmm. think what it does... Um, and this could be an intended takeaway is like shining a light on the paradox mm-hmm. uh, and the double standard of like men being experienced, but women being these like unused yeah. like items for these people, but also they can't be too prudish. Like mm-hmm. they have to be sexy enough, but if they're too sexy, then they're whores, you know, you mm-hmm. can't win. And so I feel like that's what it really shines a lot on when she talks about like, you're a hypocrite. Like how come... You can have all these expectations yeah. and also have these experiences, but if I were to have any of those, it mm-hmm. would reflect neg- negatively on me. Yeah, I just, I like that, yeah, she was a player. Like, she had thoughts and opinions about this, and, like, and I was just like, you're right, Esther. You're like, yes, go for it. Like, yeah. don't take what you don't want. Um, she was also, what was she was, like, kind of dating that, what is it called, a simultaneous interpreter? And they, like, had a date and went back to his place, but he didn't, like, try to initiate anything with her, and she was, like, disappointed, and I was like, damn it, Esther. Yeah, you can't have, yeah, I mean, okay. Dump his ass. She's also a product of her own times of, like, the paradox of, for women, wanting to be desired, but also wanting to have control over the Mm -hmm. desirement. So I think a lot of, what a lot of people gripe about, whether it's, like, justified or not, is, uh, to use, like, an archaic term, but, like, courting each other Mm -hmm. and how that works and how we have now shed a light on the narrative of, like, of the, you know, heteronormative narrative of, like, a guy courts a girl and, like, Mm -hmm. does all this stuff for her, but then that doesn't leave, or, you know, again, in this heteronormative, like, look of, like, a man and a woman. But then now there's also talk about, like, women can propose to men and women can do this and this and this, but then there's still that, we're still also, because we're this is still a new, relatively new idea, like, women still have dreams of, you know, a man bringing her yeah. flowers or, you know, yeah, being I think... taken care of to, in a sense. So I think it's always difficult. Yeah. Like, we're still learning. Yeah, for sure. For her, for Esther, and also for a woman now. Like, there is, I think, kind of embarrassment or, like, shame around being the one to initiate that conversation or yeah. to, like, make the advances first. Like, yeah, feeling like you might have failed a bit because, like, oh, I wasn't approached first. I'm the one who had to approach him in these, like, heteronormative relationships. She felt kind of frustrated because she's, like, wanted this, but, like, she couldn't really initiate it herself. Like, she had to see whether or not the... What's his freaking name? I don't know. The simultaneous interpreter would do it for her. Um, Yeah. yeah. So I think... Yeah, I just... I liked the portrayal and her exploration of her values and what she wanted. And I think in the preface... In my book, there's a foreword, um, which is very long. It was a very long foreword. But they mentioned that um, a lot of women or a lot of critics, like, when they read The Bell Jar, they're like, I didn't realize other women felt this way about, like, life mm. and about mental health and all these things. So um, I think it's... A, yeah, I can see where, yeah, that is... The, that's, like, the feminist element coming into play. Yeah. For sure. So I think ultimately, like, how this book can be used today, it might be old, but, you know, we're... we're you can never get too many feminist authors to look mm-hmm. at because I think they do show it's like, and you don't have to be a woman to a female identifying person to yeah. garner something from like the bell jar because it, yeah. I think it not only talks about, you know, a female's 
like placed in society, but it sheds light on like gender roles for both male and female presenting mm-hmm. people. I think that um, uh, this is kind of a two, this is like a coin with two sides. It's very um, focused on uh, female identifying characters, like um, Esther's relationships with other women, how she views these other women, the woman in power and the woman who, um, who she admires in her life. Um, and they're all interesting. And uh, to be honest, some of it reads queer to me. You know, her admiration mm-hmm. of Doreen um, and her investigation of Betsy and Joan and stuff. She is, her, her feelings for Joan themselves are very complicated because she sometimes is like, well, I hate Joan. Um, but she obviously spends the most time around her and trusts her uh, because she goes to her when she's hemorrhaging. Um, yeah. And then on the flip side, uh, I also enjoy that, like, all, all of the men in this book uh, kind of suck. Yeah. Um, because well let, let me let me itemize this because well buddy he does his weird whatever stuff um regarding sex and regarding wanting to date two women um his dad he seems like a nice dude but then he just leaves esther at the tb clinic and is like well i'll get you later without having discussed that before um her therapist kind of sucks because he um she doesn't click with him and then he gives her electroshock therapy and like it doesn't yeah. do it right or he whatever he kind of like writes her off and he's like well that's just yeah. how that's just women you know and you're like yeah exactly yeah um, her brother is really not a character. Um, she mentions him and he like shows up, but he does not get a name. Um, we don't know anything about that dude. Yeah, it's very striking to me that, um, we have these two different flip, kind of flipped gender dynamics. Like, you know, especially in Holden's story, um, he only interacted with dudes and in his mind, all of the interactions with his, with women were like negative. And I have very little sympathy for, I... Listen, if you don't know, go back to that episode and listen, hear my yeah. rating, because I will tell you now, a little hint, my rating for this book is going to be drastically different than the rating oh, for yeah. that book. Yeah. So yeah, compare that's especially compared to that. And compared to the majority of the books we've read for these freaking high school curriculums, um, yeah, it's very refreshing. And like it I think this would be a good book to introduce feminist theory into a discussion. Like I don't want to say it's because it is feminist, but it, more than that, I think it just is nice to read a story narrated by a woman and where all of her relationships are with women i don't want to be like haha it's great that men suck you know like <laughs> or it's no it's more that like she's allowed to be critical of them and that like they they're doing displaying you know bad harmful negative behavior and she's allowed to think that way and accept it and be like no i don't she doesn't need to redeem them or like find yeah. the good in them you know yes there's a lot of what i'm more interested about not of course i'm interested about like how mental health is presented in this but i think what makes this book unique is the intersectionality between fe- feminist theory and like mental health mm-hmm. and how they yes. two tie in together because often in real life they are. It's not just like, oh, I'm depressed and also I'm a woman. It's like, yeah, it's very oh, intersectional. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was too real when Esther was like, um, ah, well, I've been an overachiever and I've done so well and I've done great on exams my whole life and now I'm in the real world and now I have to actually like want to do something and figure out what I want to do and that's really hard. And I was like, ah, Esther, oh man. Yeah, no, I feel like that that's encapsulates like there's that one, I don't want to say, it's not a trope because it is real, but you were like, mm-hmm. where you're like, oh yeah, in elementary school I was in gifted and talented. Oh yeah, and, the like, t- talented and gifted program, absolutely. Yeah, and then, and they're like, now look at me where I've just, uh, so much of your adolescence is like, going through a conveyor belt of like structured Mm -hmm. here's what you want here's what you need to get here's the incentives and everything and then you go out into the real world and you have to create that yourself and that is what schools fail to teach you is right like internal self-driven motivation yeah for sure and your and then your self-word is very much tied to external validation and achievement and everything rather than as you said personal internal 
That's it. Um, well, in that case, let's go straight on to ratings. My rating with this book has taken a journey because, um, well, I read the forward first, uh, which I just have learned. I should have, I should have just skipped it because it referred to a lot of part of the books that I didn't understand. I was like, I don't know why I'm reading this, but shouldn't um, this be an afterword? It did refer to this as like, oh, some people called it the twin of Catcher in the Rye, and I was like, Catcher in the mm. Rye? Oh my god, I'm gonna hate this book. Mm. So for the first like two or three chapters, I was like, this sounds like just like I, this sounds just like Catcher in the Rye. Oh yeah. no, but. Um, then, as I finished the book, I wasn't feeling too hot about it. I was like, this is kind of meh. Um, as yeah. you said, like, the story structure is very twisty and turny, and I'm not super drawn to those types of stories. Actually, this happens, this is a pretty common theme, that once we start discussing it, I kind of do get bored into the merits. Or once I sit down and do my notes for takeaways and judgments, then I kind of am like, oh, here are the positives. On the whole, I... I just, I liked, I thought it was very masterful the way she brought up all of these different stories um, and how they came into play later on. So, 7 out of 10. I'll just go right off the bat and say I'm rating this an 8 out of 10. Mm -hmm. Largely positively influenced by the fact that I was listening to it and it was read by Maggie Gyllenhaal, who I okay. love. And mm -hmm. so I was also like imagining Maggie Gyllenhaal as a character. It was playing like a movie in my mind, um, which I can get on board with. I can get on board with the plot of a movie being a lot more windy than I can a book. Yeah. Um, I think it's easier to follow along just because you see it very often in either biopic, like very outright biopic pieces, mm -hmm. or in these, like, in this case, a semi-autobiographical memoir. Um, so, yeah, I give an 8 out of 10, especially you know, if I'm comparing it just to Catcher in the Rye, 10 out of 10. I loved it very much more. Mm. Um, but... I will say 8 out of 10 because I think that they're on, you know, quote-unquote the negative side. Sometimes it is just like, you know, sometimes you get tired of a character just being like, and then I made another wrong choice, and it yep. went downhill. And I'm not saying that humans aren't allowed to, but as a reader, sometimes it just fills me with anxiety. I'm like, I don't like this yeah. anymore. So... I know. And I will say, I mean, obviously we're going to put trigger warnings on this episode, but there's yeah. a heavy discussion of suicide and she spends a lot of her time thinking about suicide and everything. I remember like doing things while I was listening to this book and mm -hmm. that is like uh, tinged with this kind of like sad, um, sad facade because yeah. I was listening to this book and it was putting me in that mindset. So for sure, mm -hmm. it's, you know, whether it's a pro or whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, like reading the story puts you... Mm -hmm makes you feel things like it evokes certain feelings yeah. but let's move on to book talk yeah are you ready uh almost yep uh-huh yeah <laughs> great all right um laura what would you recommend based on this book i would recommend um this little book called i am i am i am by Maggie o'farrell um we're reading it for book club i haven't finished it yet and we're about to we're supposed to finish back. the book discussion tonight so that's on my to-do list um yes but uh i say that partly because obviously the quote is from the bell jar but i also do really enjoy it so far um and i guess you could attest to this but it's subtitle is 17 brushes with death so it's a memoir of the author told through 17 stories of times where she came close to death which i know at first i was like really 17 how is that 
that's that's a lot but um no they 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 they're plausible and they are it's a really good memoir um yes no i've read the book for me i'm going to recommend um this will only hurt a little by busy phillips and that one is a celebrity memoir by actress busy phillips um i think it definitely integrates that like the mental health feminist queer theory Mm -hmm. lens in all of those it does talk about a lot of painful and traumatic events that happened in busy phillips life so definitely warning on just sexual violence and uh, i don't know if i want to say i don't know if i'd like strictly say body horror but it's just it can Mm. be a hard book to read because this is something that actually happened to someone not only is it like real life experiences but it's this author very much being opening up and being vulnerable Mm. vulnerable about it so but what what were you reading what are you currently reading currently than i am i am i am uh, actually, nothing. I haven't started my next uh, other book yet, so that's exciting. Well, then let's go straight into what what have you just finished? You yeah. mentioned you had just finished a book. So since last since reading Othello, I have finished the fifth season by N.K. Jemisin, uh, the Seven Husbands Husbands the Seven Husbands. Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid, The Obelisk Gate by N.K. Jemisin, The Stone Sky by N.K. Jemisin, The Other Black Girl by Zakia Dolila Harris, and Redemptor by Jordan Ifuego. Um, so I read the whole Broken Earth trilogy. Though yeah, it sounds like it. I was like, that's all. I, I did. I would one read after the other. Um, that was a really incredible trilogy, and I all three of those books have read. Uh, no one. I think it's the Nebula Award. Some like a sci-fi award. Like every single one, which is incredible. They came out one after the other, like three years in a row. And I'm like, what the heck? But so, you you can attest to it. You think it's that good? It I do. All the yeah, rewards. I think the it's a really good example of a magic system that is very intuitive like there is not a lot of hard rules introduced at the beginning but it makes sense so it's very abstract but you really don't get lost in it yeah and then redemptor i love it it's the sequel to rayburner um anyway that's me how about you nice currently okay reading? currently reading i'm not gonna go through all the textbooks i'm reading but nothing's changed and i'm still reading those two books of poetry that's never gonna change um i'm also <laughs> reading that it's just like I I don't have time. Um, the Good Person of Szechuan, which is by Bertolt Brecht, which I'm reading for a class, but it's a play. And then I'm also listening to The Farm by Joanne Ramos. But I just wanted to go straight into what I was reading last time because between now and then I went through a period of choosing the shortest audiobooks in my like you know want to read list. And just whipping through them. So I have, you know, like 20 books that I'm just going to list off. So here are the things that I've listened to. And I will only call out the ones that I think are worth calling out. Um, things My Son Needs to Know About the World by Frederick Bachman. Ah. The Way of Zen by Alan Watts. Where the Crowdads Sing by Delia Owens. That one's like a really popular one right now. Personally, it wasn't my favorite. wasn't my cup of tea. But it's. I was also like not looking for sappy romance, which is kind of what this is. I don't know. Um... I Am, I Am, I Am by Maggie O'Farrell. They Never Learn by Lane Fargo. Postcards from the Edge by Carrie Fisher. The Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watts. The Princess Diarist by Carrie Fisher. The New One by Mike Birbiglia. The Deal of a Lifetime by Frederick Bachman. And Every Morning, The Way Home Gets Longer and Longer by Frederick Bachman. Vacation Land by John Hodgman. Failure is an Option by John H. Benjamin. Circe by Madeline Miller, which is a Ooh. retelling of... Um, a Greek mythology, but told from the woman's perspective. I would recommend that. That's a good one. Um, 
Shockaholic by Carrie Fisher, The Book by Ellen Watts, I Am America by Stephen Colbert, Wildflower by Drew Barrymore, The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mandel, Because He's Jeff Goldblum by Travis M. Andrews. Uh, I wanted to get into a Jeff Goldblum phase of just listening to a bunch of books sure. about him or by him, but there are none that exist. There's a bunch of adult coloring books. So I looked at, <laughs> like, oh, books about Jeff Goldblum, and it was like this one and then another one, and neither of them are written by him. Um, Travis M. Andrews never actually got an interview with Jeff, Jeff Goldblum. He's just collected things from interviews and, like, uh, um, articles about Jeff Goldblum in the past. But, like, Jeff Goldblum never actually appears in it. He's never, like, sanctioned it or anything. But it was interesting. Um, The Brief and Wondrous Life of Oscar Wow by Juno Diaz. Drown by Juno Diaz. And Growing Up Amish by Ira Wagler. Because I'm doing a research project for a pitch that I'm going to do that I'm thinking about um, that's about Amish people. So I'm just learning a mm. bunch. But I'm done now. Woo! I didn't Woo! realize Carrie Fisher had written so many books. I know. She actually has. She's written, and a lot of them are, I would say, kind of like uh, Roma Cliff or whatever. Romana Cliff. <laughs> Romana Cliff, where it's just semi-autobiographical or just straight-up autobiographical. Nice. But. Do you think they're ghostwritten? No, I think she actually wrote them because oh. I think she, especially the ones that are autobiographical, like Shockaholic, mm-hmm. um, she talks about her struggles with addiction and being famous. And it is a woman who's just complaining about how much fame she's gotten and how that's led to her addiction and how she can't stop. And so sometimes you're like, oh, really? I'm so sorry that you are in billions of dollars of debt because you blew it all on like Coke. Mm-hmm. So it depends on how much you really want to, yeah, you know. I don't know. If you want a straight-up sympathetic person, like character, don't read that. But sure. I, I still thought it was interesting. <laughs> okay, we have come to the end, and we will now go into some housekeeping items. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, so if you want to connect with us, we have an email and we have a Twitter. Laura, what is our email? Our email is readingnotreading at gmail.com, spelled R-E-A-D-I-N-G-N-O-T-R-E-A-D-I-N-G at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at readnotreadpod. So, at sign R-E-A-D-N-O-T-R-E-A-D-P-O-D. In addition to that, we have our bookshop, which is a great way to support independent bookstores and then Mm -hmm. also support your very most favorite podcast. Um, By clicking on our link in the episode description, you can shop for books and your contributions will partly go to us and then partly go to, again, supporting local independent bookstores. Mm -hmm. So we love that. Love that. And then... Lastly, we have our website, which will also be in the episode description, and that is a way to listen to any of our back catalog. And then if you have trouble navigating and going to Twitter, you could click on the little hyperlink we have in the corner, Mm -hmm. but also just go to Twitter.com, y'all. And do you have anything else you want to plug before we uh, take a peek behind the curtain for next month? Not really, no. No, I'm done. I'm done. You know what? I'm done. (laughs) Okay. So join us. Uh, We hope you have a spooky October, of course, and whatnot. Oh, yeah. But um, Sober October if you want. (laughs) Spooky, sober October. Um, But next semester. What am I saying? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, 
Okay, Laura, introduce it. I don't want to say anything okay, anymore. It's called No Name in the Street by James Baldwin, and we will be having a special guest. Yeah, Woo! so tune in next month um, when we kind of reveal who that special guest is. Other than that, hope y'all have a good day. <laughs> and Mercury Retrograde will end soon. <laughs> yes, it will be over soon. Okay, okay. goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you.